0: From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know that this is your most important event. It is their goal to make you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Los. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN, LD at large. I am sitting at home and I thought today would be a great day to talk to my good friend, Herrick Goldman, lighting designer and owner of HDLD and principal designer at Evoke Collaborative. I am up here in Stony Point, Ontario, and he is in his beautiful study in New York City. Thank you so much for making the time today, Eric.
1: Thanks. It's a pleasure to to virtually be here, I guess, (laughs) as we all hole up in our our various homes against our
0: will. (laughs) As of a month ago, I absolutely hated video chatting, but I think it was only because it was not as good as face-to-face. And sure. now face to face is not possible, so now I'm really fully embracing the video chatting.
1: Yeah, and actually, at least the technology is, has improved so much over the years; uh, it's it's really miraculous. So we can get we can get a lot more done this way, uh, and it's it's nice. The the Zoom meetings I've been having with you know up to ten or twelve people at a time has really been amazing, and it's it's gotten us through. What would otherwise be a, a pretty tough time. So,
0: I've been really enjoying the Zoom. Uh, I I can't remember the the owner. I think it's Jack Ma or something.
1: Oh yeah, is it? Is he? Uh, isn't he the Alibaba guy? I can't remember.
0: Ah, oh, that's right. He's the Alibaba. Yeah. But I did. I did see that the owner yeah. of Zoom is being quite the quite the helper these days. He's really doing everything he can to keep the world connected. Oh, good.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know it's necessary and it's it may only become more necessary we're gonna see
0: so. these are the times you really have to look for the helpers and uh, some of the news that i'm seeing is just, just some real wonderful people out there trying to yeah. do the, the small things we can from from so far apart
1: yeah and shout out to uh, our friends at etc who just started making masks for everybody i think yesterday or the day before i, I was that. on a I was on a zoom conference with some of their, uh, R&D guys on Monday and we were still talking about what new lights to make. And, and, uh, now all of a sudden they're, they're making medical equipment, which is fantastic. And I think I heard upstaging is doing the same thing or something similar. Yeah, and, I saw uh, trucking and
0: toilet paper and food all over the globe trying yep, to help out. And Tate
1: is, uh, Tate is fabricating things. Um, you know, it seems it seems in New York like the National Guard is taking over the Javits Center. Uh, and it's uh, I keep waiting for all of my IATSE brothers and sisters to uh, to get called in to like help move big things or hang lights or, or make things better in various large venues that we're always in anyway. But I, I think the National Guard probably has it well in hand for for things like that. So we'll see. Time will tell.
0: And uh even you in your own small part, I saw that you were out there handing out critical supplies to all the people in New York City. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if if handing out cheap bottles of wine counts, then then yes. Uh a week ago, well, I guess what's today? Today's only Thursday. So I guess last Saturday, <laughs> uh before before the New York City lockdown really, really went into place, uh, against my wife's uh best wishes, not best wishes, but uh uh misgivings. I, uh, I jumped into the SUV and, uh, and uh, we, we put a bunch of orphan bottles in the back. We probably had 36 or 40 different orphan bottles of booze. And uh, we, I, I sort of collected addresses from all our friends uh, in, the, in, in two boroughs, in Brooklyn and Queens, and uh, just did a drive around. Because I figured if I stay in the SUV, and I poke my head out the sunroof. I'm, I'm six feet away from friends and I I can remotely open the, the, uh, the hatchback and let them choose bottles and then, uh, and make sure that they're all alive and wish them well and then drive on to the next stop. So that was about a four hour journey, uh, last Saturday. And, uh, I got to know Queens really well because a lot of our friends live in Queens. Uh, so that it was, it was good. It was, it was good to see people. Uh, we got great photos and, uh, yeah, it was a it was a nice thing to do. Uh, I got to figure out what's what's next and, and when. Now that we've started that, I don't think I can do that weekly. But we'll see how <laughs> long we're all we're all in this situation.
0: Um, you yeah, know, you, I've, got, I've, you just have to be creative. These are the solutions that we have to come up with nowadays. Yep. You gotta yep, I've, How I've can got we to... help without being without help? How can you how right. do you lend a helping hand without touching hands? Right. Well, and
1: it's, it's funny. I came to, I came to this idea because, uh, up until, well, up until, uh, this morning we had a project at LaGuardia airport that's still under construction. Uh, and, uh, we were, uh, I had had to be out there on the Thursday before all of this shutdown, Uh, so it was still cool to go out there. Uh, but I also had an errand to run in midtown and I drove from LaGuardia to midtown to 15th street in midtown in about 20 minutes. It's the fastest I've ever been able. It was it was superhuman. Uh, you know, I went through the Midtown Tunnel with with I, I never hit the brakes, and I was like, this is this is insane. So I came home and I was like, wow, it's so easy to drive right now. Uh, it's almost spooky. It's like uh, it's like the Will Smith I Am Legend movie about just how empty the streets of New York are. And uh, so yeah, so that that's I was literally driving through Queens, which would normally be an absolute nightmare. Uh, it was so easy to get to all of our friends. Uh, and we've got one friend who's a talented, uh, lighting designer, Stacy Boggs, who's, who's self-quarantining overseas, uh, she got, she was on the last flight out of Char-, Char de Gaulle, uh, before France shut down. So she's still in self-quarantine. I think she's, she put herself in a 15-day quarantine. She's on day 10 and she's taken to doing, uh, YouTube puppet shows with finger puppets, uh, which is hilarious. Uh, but, but I'm, I'm starting to get worried for her. Uh, <laughs> so we, we, we delivered, we delivered to her and, uh, I, I sent her some ropes so that she can, she can lower rope down from her, uh, her fire escape to friends who are delivering food. Uh, and then we, we just saw a bunch of, you know, saw just, just a bunch of other friends, uh, all of them in the industry, uh, who were it just it was just great to see so we'll, we'll we'll see how it all goes and hopefully i can get back out there again and, and drive around and do a well a wellness a wellness check on all of them
0: so how's yeah. my good friend brendan gray
1: brendan gray is great uh yeah he's uh, about a mile and a half from me and uh we gave him i think we gave him some widow jane uh which i know is a uh is uh, is one of his favorites and uh you know i got to see uh his wife sydney in the in the doorway with their with their child uh she was she was further distant and brendan was on the sidewalk and uh yeah that was they were actually our first stop or my first stop i keep saying hour but it's the royal hour (laughs) um yeah made around uh josh flytel who i don't know a bunch a bunch of folks probably know from uh the disguised d3 world and uh he does burning man he does a bunch of coachella stuff and uh he's sort of a creator. He's sort of a, just, he just does really cool art. And, um, Lois Conzaro Gordon and her husband, Jeff Gordon, who's, uh, Bob Gordon's son, who you probably all know from, uh, live to the, from LDI. And, um, uh, oh man, just a, just a, a whole crew, the crew from the new victory theater and Matt Gaminski who happened to, uh, live near each other. And, uh, uh, sound, my, sound One of my sound design friends, Mel schmidt who's a massive Red Sox fan, uh, who was in the park playing with her kids and teaching them all baseball because, of course, it was spring training. and Yeah, uh, yeah just, you know, oh, and happy opening day uh, to the baseball fans, which it's not opening day. So, you know, we'll see how long this lasts.
0: Uh, yeah, we kind of eased into this, uh, even though looking back, it seems so quick, but it was really like, well, clearly we can still go play baseball like well right. yeah mm, nope. no uh, yeah. well clearly we can still go to the park with our kids no yeah yeah it's, one uh, day after day it's just we chopped you, one thing after another
1: yeah i mean you can still go to the park with your kids it's uh i was just in prospect park I've, i'm i'm normally a, a gym guy as opposed to a running guy i will i will run once or twice a month uh depending on the weather but uh now i'm running three times a week but um Prospect Park in Brooklyn is uh, normally crazy. It's not, it's, to the untrained eye, it looks bad now. Uh, there's a thousand bikers out and a thousand joggers and walkers, but there's enough space to get in between them. They are, it's, you kind of pass a little close. Like if you're really being religious about the six feet, it's, it's sort of impossible to do if you stay on the roads. Um, but what a lot of people don't know about that park is there's a lot of off-road trails and there's there's weird stairs that go up hills and trails that go the, down the hills and you can you can really if you go off road you can really stay away from people and when people are on those trails and they see you coming it's it's sort of this mutual okay i'm moving to the right you're moving to the left you know <laughs> kind of nod to each other and keep running um but it's dual it's totally doable um it's the dynamic is interesting uh, a, a week and a half ago i saw you know Dozens of of large picnics with uh, you know younger a younger generation like just right next to each other right on top of each other like they normally would be and now people sort of ha- are having a respectful distance uh, but they're still and they're still out there so I think it's interesting I just saw a father and his two kids carrying frisbees and I'm like you know what it's if you're in the same household it's totally fine to play Frisbee with each other.
0: You know, yeah, Yeah. your
1: Frisbee is going to be infected. Don't play with it with other people.
0: Um, (laughs) Don't touch my Frisbee.
1: Well, yeah, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, sort of understand that, you know, children have no sense of the germ, the balls of germs that they are. So I guess as a parent, you've got to sort of educate your kids, but it's not like kids run up to you and like hug you randomly anyway. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't want that. Um, But so I think teaching your kids to play baseball with enough space around and an understanding of what's going on, I think you can still do that. Um, you know, and there's there's a not there's enough. It's interesting because you can see you can sort of see people walking almost arm in arm or right next to each other in the park, and you're like, oh, they're a family unit, um, or those they must be sisters. And you look at them and you're like, yeah, they're sisters. And you can either get upset about it, or, or I'm not upset about that. But then it's when when it's clear that they're not, it's like guys like six feet. But what are you gonna do? Yeah. You know, it's just just do, do you do you, and everybody else will do everybody else. And either they'll come around to it or they won't. But just the fact that we, at least in New York, that we've lowered contact so much. Like if you think about the contact that we used to have on a daily basis, whether getting into a taxi or an Uber or going into a bar or going into B&H and buying cameras, you know, just the, the person-to-person contact that we used to have. Has been minimized so much. Even if I went out right now for an hour and was normal, uh, if everybody only did that one hour a day instead of the 18 or 20 hours a day they would do, then so we're still, we've still decreased a lot. Is it perfect? No. But I think we're, you know, there's been a massive fall off in interactivity and social interactivity uh, in New York, despite the the what some people are posting pictures and saying oh look how bad you know brooklyn is or something it's not it really isn't that bad Uh, i think 90 percent of the people are are respectful of it and uh and that's gotta that's gotta do something right so when i
0: think of new york city i think of shoulder to shoulder elbow to elbow people on the subway uh, one of the visuals that comes to mind is uh, Crocodile Dundee when he's trying to walk the wrong way down the street, uh, and it's just right. It's just the the tight yeah, well, that's People, yeah, that's so close.
1: Yeah, that's Times Square on on any normal day, and and you know I used to pride myself by you know it's, uh, you know how I how quickly I can make it through Times Square in the height of tourist season, and just sort of like. Shouldering people out of my way and and things and now it's it's a ghost town uh, I've seen pictures and there's actually a webcam. You can log on to there's probably like 10 people in Times Square now um, a friend of mine lives in Hell's Kitchen and walks his dog and uh, And he was out at like 11 o'clock last night. I think on 38th Street and 9th Avenue and there were no cars No cars at all. And He's blocks from Port Authority. That's wow. It's, it's so I think they're, they're you know, there's a big effort um, and it's a big community effort and you know, it's going to get, it's going to get worse. We're right at the, we're about to, I watch, I don't know if you're seeing Governor Cuomo as much as, as much as New Yorkers are, but Very uh, inspiring. he's doing, he's doing, yeah, he's doing a really good job. And even today, I think he said, look, the peak's about to, about to hit, like, don't be surprised. Cause this, this exponential increase, we're, uh, I don't know if we're at a hundred thousand infected right now, but it could be, it, it's going to get a lot worse in the next couple of days, but that doesn't mean that what we're doing isn't working. It's just, right. there's no, this is, this is math and epidemiology that none of us are experts in but the, the math thing is pretty clear and a lot of us in production understand the math really well right just even just cuz we're all good at dmx right you can you can work in bin hex really easy and you can go from 256 <laughs> to 512 to 1024 you know that's that's a really easy you know if you start thinking in universes and uh, that's that's what this was right it was you know it's it's all it's it, you know it's 16 bit and, and uh so that's the kind of math we're talking about. Uh ten thousand so is a lot
0: of universes.
1: Yeah, well it's but but it's the way it increases, right? And you yeah. you know it's you know oh there were there were two cases and then there were four and now there's eight and now there's uh, 64 and now there's 128 and <laughs> whatever uh, so <laughs> the, the, but you see those numbers you're like i know those i know that pattern
0: <laughs> so <laughs> fill me in on the effects cuz i came anyway. a little bit more from the rock and roll world and you're a little bit uh, more centralized to the broadway world yeah. in, in the rock and roll most everybody is freelance and we live gig to gig right. but i know in new york city there's a little bit more uh, collective going on it's,
1: there. It's collective, but it's it's I think you'd be surprised. Uh I think your rock and roll family and I've I've been uh, I've been really lucky because I, I get to know both worlds mm-hmm. just through just really through all of our friends at LDI and uh you know the Rob Keeniggs and the you know the going on a roba trip or whatever or uh you know the guys at elation and, and there's a, a bunch of cross pollination and you know I've I've done a, a couple of smaller rock and roll things uh i finally got on my first uh overnight bus trip of, about a year ago thanks to mr Dearson, uh graciously swaggling me onto a project uh and uh, and i appreciate that greatly but um so i you know there's there's enough cross pollination in our world but uh the the theater community uh, we know each other really well uh, so here's the thing even though you look at local one you look at iozzi and you think, oh, these guys are really secure. They're union and, you know, they've, they've, they've got these jobs and they all must have savings and things. They're still, uh, their jobs are still at the pleasure of the producers. Uh, it's uh, technically every contract they, they're on is a two-week contract. So when Broadway shut down, you know, they're, they're all like, well, well now what? Uh, and, of course, IATSE and Local One is uh, super powerful and super organized, uh, and they're, they're always going to take care of the members to the best of their ability. But uh, make no mistake, there have been meetings. Uh, you know, I see, I see on various Facebook groups, conversations, uh, there have been meetings with Broadway producers, uh, at least in the first week of this shutdown. You know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to take care of everybody? Uh, and it's the same thing for the actors actors equity and the stage uh, stage managers are equity um, the directors have their own guild choreographers uh but everybody you know the, and the producers you know producers are all are producers everywhere but uh by and large they're they're gonna do their best but at some point they're starting to lose money too because they're you know they're they don't they have empty seats so what are you gonna do and
0: you can't bargain with uh with, with yeah, nothing, you can, you, yeah, you got nothing to bargain granted, with. Right. You know, um,
1: you know, Scott Rudin, who's got three or four shows on Broadway right now, uh, you know, obviously he has some deep pockets, but there's generosity and there's, and, and then there's, uh, from his point of view, I'm sure foolhardiness. Uh, and he's, you know, it's um, you want to have something to come back to and you want to be able to produce shows again. Uh, so I, I see both sides of the story. I'm, I'm, absolutely on the side of labor and and our brothers and siblings, sisters and siblings out there um, but they're all you know everybody's sitting at home going all right what's next where's it come from and in much the same way that you're worried about the live event uh, industry you know what's, when's, when's the next Coachella going to happen or uh, the next giant arena tour if ever and what are the rules of that when do we come out of that it's the same thing I, I don't know last time you sat in a Broadway, uh, Broadway theater but talk about being elbow to elbow. I mean, they've, they've been making those seats smaller and smaller just like the airlines for years. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, what do you do? You, you sell every third seat maybe, uh, at a higher price, which is rude. And it, it, it keeps the general public from, you know, it's like, it's like Hamilton tickets, right? Um, uh, I'm pausing because so It says my internet connection on the table. There it is. Uh, you know at, at first when it was like oh hamilton seats are two thousand dollars that means the average show on the street can't go see it that's true uh and that's gotten better and it got better with the tours but if you were to say we need to make our money to pay the cast and the crew and the rent and the electricity for a broadway house and and get it down to a third the size somehow to keep everybody spaced out um that's i have no idea how that math works i just don't um and i i kind of don't i've i've refrain from thinking about it because smarter people than I will, will hopefully solve it. Um,
0: But yeah, it's going to be a logistical nightmare because, but but at first they were just postponing shows, but now we're at a place where you just can't reschedule enough shows to give the tickets back. Yeah. You're just going to have to refund the tickets at which point you're not only not making money, but you're just hemorrhaging. Right.
1: Right. But and but and, and yeah, and also but even when even if you wipe it clean and start from scratch and say, OK, we're opening or, uh, you know, we're going back up with Hamilton on Tuesday. Uh, you can't have I forget how much that how many people that, that theater holds, like twelve hundred people or something. Uh, you can't have twelve hundred people. No. Shoulder to shoulder. Uh, so maybe at best you can get four hundred people in there, which is, you know, spacing them out in the balcony and, and, and they're still it's crazy so that's a uh, that's a bleak conversation to have, but a real conversation to have. Um, so we'll we'll see what the how the art changes there, and maybe we'll all get past it. maybe the maybe a, a a vaccine will come out or we'll all just develop an immunity, and we'll we'll figure it out that we we're all you know I was talking with somebody this week that if indeed, and this is total speculation and and it's not. It hasn't been proven yet that, that once you have it, you have an immunity, at least to this strain, right? If that's the case, then you get some sort of uh, ID, like a, like a driver's license that says, I've been tested. I've had it. I'm not, uh, I can't give it to anybody else, else anymore. And so now I can go out in society. Uh, so now you have the, the people who are like that and the people who aren't. And eventually society gets healed. Uh, but that's a weird i don't know that's, that's
0: <laughs> that hey is it's a just dystopian idea that you have it's right totally
1: there. dystopian that's exactly the <laughs> word i was going to use but that's you know that's uh it's not unreasonable i was talking with friends of mine who own bars uh you know in the in the 20s there were speakeasies hiding away from the cops you know there's if if we're in here for i don't know eight weeks right now if we if we go for eight weeks. You know, some people are going to start sneaking out to bars or uh, an underground basement that has a bunch of booze. uh, Whether they're whether it's safe or not, Uh, it's just that's the nature of it. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but also there's going to be a world where some bars open up and say, "All of our staff has had it. We're all cleared. Uh, If you choose to come into our venue, know that we have it, and uh, and and hopefully you're you're clear as well and can't get it again. Please come have drinks, right? Uh, So there's going to be bars that open that, you know, that are like, you've, uh, you've tested positive, come on into the bar. Uh, You can't get it again. That sounds
0: like a New Hampshire live free or die bar. We're we're doing this no matter what. And if you die, it's not, it's on you.
1: And again, to be clear, I am not a proponent of this at this time. Uh, I am absolutely not. The science is out. (laughs) <laughs> totally, like, I don't be like, well, Herrick was saying, like, you know, it's, I'm just, I'm just blue sky in here. I read a lot of science fiction, and I also know who, how humanity works, because, you know, there's, there's already, you know, well, we all saw the spring breakers down in Florida, but I blame part of that on Florida's, Florida's government, uh, you know, and hopefully they've, the, those, those folks have come to their senses, uh, but at some point, the strain is going to be quite a lot, and people are going to want to get out and and our president isn't helping with that. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it that for another day, but.
0: Um, okay. There's a great know, so book anyway. by Brian Walsh called end times. And he discusses this exactly. And he, in fact, he talks about how important it is to have a strong leader in place in, in case uh, of in case of exactly yeah. this happening.
1: At least a strong message, right? That so everybody understands what the one clear directive is like if i don't care if it's just dr fauci or or cuomo or or whatever just like stay on message and and Mm -hmm. you know don't be like well maybe it'll be okay if we do this and that it's like no like come on man like like pick a plan and stick with it because half-assed measures are not they're not going to help anybody um you know so anyway um (laughs) Yeah, we started with this topic. and Now we can't get off it. I I feel like
0: Uh, that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we could totally go
1: down. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris, I'm looking forward to building a a lighting sculpture with you in September in Detroit. Yes. I hope hope that happens.
0: I have, I've heard things falling off the schedule as late as June. Right. Uh, I would imagine September is still on. I, I I think September gets us.
1: I think September sees us out and about in, in, in a solid way. Uh, I think just, again, humanity is going to need that one way or another.
0: So to anybody uh-huh. listening, a good friend of ours, Peter Kite re- introduced us. Uh, we are going to be taking, uh, every, we're going to be doing everything we can to do an art installation at the uh, D electricity, which is a outdoors art festival, uh, light art festival in Detroit in September. Yeah and Herrick and i are working on uh with Ayrton we haven't actually
1: been we haven't been approved for it yet so we might no. be putting the cart before the horse we've we've got it we've got a, a proposal in yes. and uh hopefully we uh we get to act on that we've got a bunch of yeah a bunch of color kinetics led tubes and some touch designer and some grand bay and some Ariton gear and some yep. stuff and we're gonna we're gonna gonna make pretty and hopefully it's a something that uh Uh, the public can actually come play on and and climb around on and interact with. And uh, if for some reason the public can't, we're still going to make it pretty and and they'll view it from afar. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) you
0: know, very, very, very afar.
1: uh, I hope not. I hope it's, I hope it's more interactive and close because I really want to, I really want to start playing with that. And I want to play with Zach tracks and, and uh, there's a, there's a bunch of, fun toys out there uh and touch designer really intrigues me now right be, right before this madness i was up in toronto for a couple of days to uh to familiarize myself with touch designer and it sounds like it's a, it feels like it's a really intuitive fun uh product that that can really uh, relate to our industry and especially permanent installations that we do a lot of um, so that'll be yeah that'll be cool
0: I'm excited to embark on this project with you because I this is totally out of my wheelhouse. I come from the the rock and roll and the corporate events and it's so rare that I get to do anything that's genuine self-motivated self-propelled right. art. I come from the corporate artist world which you're very you're equally versed in. Yeah. But I never actually got to do anything where uh you and I get to come up with an idea and we present it and we do it. And somebody comes and judges us who isn't signing a check where people were going to be, you know. Yeah. It's uh, art.
1: It's art for art's sake. Well, it's also, uh, you know, it's funny. um, A couple of years ago, uh, I was approached by Christie's auction house to help them with their lighting design. And uh, it's part of the reason we formed a vote collaborative. We, uh, we end up placing uh, a couple of talented lighting designers with them. And, uh, and that brought me into prior to that, I'd been, I'd done Madame Tussauds and uh, a bunch of other permanent installations that were more attraction than gallery. Uh, but Christie's auction house at Rockefeller Center is—you know—there's we're lighting Rembrandts and you know Jackson Pollock and Warhol and and then some of the more weird avant-garde, like there was a a thing that was a giant stick of butter that weighed four hundred pounds that wasn't real butter but it was a sculpture. It, just the weirdest stuff uh so you start seeing those things and you start thinking well you know i i can do things like this why not you know let's just create something that that people think are is just wonderful uh, or not and uh and and see what's what the 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 art world is massive and uh just the the ability to create something that makes people happy which is part of the reason that we do theater or or any live event right that's not corporate meetings uh but you know you just want to make people happy and, and give them some joy even if it's looking at a giant stick of butter that's the size of your couch and go huh that's really funny
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, one, one never knows look what i did with these blow-up balloons i made them out of metal that's uh right isn't right. that artsy Yeah.
1: Well, and that's, well, and that's, you know, uh, that guy's work is in Christie's all the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And it's uh, it's, trust me, there's an entire team of people who come in to maintain that. And it's, it's fascinating.
0: A lot of Uh, polishing.
1: Yeah. Um, So yeah. So so, in the
0: rock and roll world, it's you, for us, we're usually taking somebody else's message and just amplifying it and making it arena size. And then in theater you're just take you're just basically lighting people to make sure that their their message gets uh pushed across to the entire audience well, but with with in art for art's sake the lighting is the message and that's that's a whole different well yeah and then, although i think i
1: think you're you're doing yourself a disservice on the rock and roll world description and the and the, certainly the theater description for me it's uh, it's I, and I can't speak to rock and roll enough because I, uh, although the folks I know who who design uh some of my favorite rock shows are absolutely in collaboration with uh with the artist and yeah helping the artist mesh message but also in in ways that the artist may or may not have been able to uh predict prior mm-hmm. to prior to uh collaborating with the lighting designer but for theater it is it's a team sport and uh you know, you start, the, the script is there, and that's the, the the playwright's vision starts there. And then the director comes in and uh, puts their own vision on top of that, or uh, it entwines it with it, and then starts to work with the actors who certainly inform their own. But then you, then as a lighting designer, you walk in and certainly you want to make sure that the audience hears every word and sees the actors. But the story you can tell around that, whether you choose to uh, go with the words that are being said or go opposite them to, to highlight the disparity in their situation versus what the words that are coming out of their mouth, whether they're pretending to be happy, but they're in a time of crisis or uh, they're in the middle of a fight and, you know, they're lying when they say that they're glad or, or something like that. Um, so that's really the lighting designer comes in to help that director uh, and the rest of the artists, uh, director of set designer and costume designer and props designer and, and, and uh, music director and choreographer and, and help them all tell the same story and really get together and uh, as a team. And so while I'm glad to go out and create art for art's sake uh, with light sculpture and hopefully move people in, and and bring some some joy to them uh for theater for me when you when a team really clicks and when when you can tell this story uh it's so much more powerful uh and it gets it gets us back to what we were talking about earlier that's it, there's something as you as you know if if you go to a live concert and there's a thousand people around you all listening the same music and being moved uh, theoretically in the same way by the same music, then it's so powerful to be at a live event. It's the same thing with theater when, you know, you see a show and you hear, you know, in the quiet moment, you hear somebody sniffling just because there are tears running down their face uh, at the end of the row. And you know that you're you're on the verge of, uh, and I can, I can name several shows recently that I saw that, that did that to me. Uh, it's really, it's magic. It's absolutely magic. And uh, hopefully we don't lose that live event. Experience, and if we I'll lose it, we need to find a way to get it back, whether it's virtually, whether it's you know sharing mm. zoom conversations or zoom meetups, which I, I really hope it doesn't come to that i hope I hope we mm. get back to this live event thing because it's going to be hard but yeah. um, but really it's uh, there's uh, there's such wonderful art in theater and concerts, and uh, you know uh, when this first happened. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, uh, the Dropkick Murphys did a live, a live show, uh, a live uh, webcast out of yeah. Boston. And I, you know, you, you get on on Facebook or YouTube, and it says 150,000 people are watching. And it's the Dropkick Murphys. they have never had 150,000 people watch them at the same time. <laughs> uh, you know it's just except for maybe the world series that they performed before like the first pitch right. uh you know and but they were they're a joyful group and they're 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 always they're always great and uh they were in this abandoned you know they were in this this sound stage uh clearly it was just them and they were shouting to their lighting guy and shouting their sound guy and, and uh it just it it was kind of great but i you know i don't want that to be the the way the way of the future it's it was good for now it was a really great moment but uh yeah
0: so, yeah when they did the workers song i i had to i had to get a tissue box and kind of
1: <laughs> wipe away a tear <laughs> or two.
0: i yeah, i'm vulnerable yeah. now i can i can admit that that was that was a that was a lot for me to take that on they're like wow that's they really yeah. had to come through yeah
1: yeah, yeah. um but there, you know. But uh, and credit to the the team in Boston that did that, and, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll see more. We're seeing people perform from their from their bathrooms and their their kitchens and stuff, and I, I think that's great. And it's I think it's something. I saw something pop up that Dave Matthews is doing a oh Verizon was trying to advertise to me that uh, Dave Matthews is performing from his his house tonight or something. I don't know. Uh, that's nice. Uh, you know, I wow. think it's great. Uh, but you know we gotta we gotta get back to live events somehow maybe so we'll all you, be wearing mm.
0: you and i share a fairly strong passion for this how did you get into this industry what uh what turned I, you what turned you into our band of pirates
1: i i started as an actor uh, my dad was uh was an actor singer english teacher and uh he and my mom put me on stage probably when i was seven to perform in oliver uh the horrible musical and um and after that, so I was, I was acting and singing all through high school and I ended up hanging lights and playing with a two scene preset that was up in the booth and, uh, a stack of TTI dimmers that was backstage. Right. And then I went to uh, Mount Holyoke college summer theater in Western Massachusetts, where, uh, as an, as a, uh, an apprentice, you'd work in every shop. And, uh, we built our theater every summer. It was built out of a tent that, uh, it was a theater in the round of the tent had was, uh, Helped 360 people and had a 20 by 20 square stage in the center. And, uh, you do a show a week that would perform for, I guess it was a show every t- week or 10 days. So I think you'd do eight shows a summer. Is that right? I don't know. Uh, but, uh, during changeover, you'd come to, uh, you'd do strike and one the the old set would go out one door and the new set would come in the next door. And, uh, as soon as that was in the electricians would start monkeying around and, uh, queuing because it was in a tent and daylight could come in queuing and it was summer. So queuing couldn't start until 10 o'clock at night. Um, I guess that's right. Yeah. And, uh, so we all would stay up till like four in the morning queuing a show and, uh, our lighting designer, uh, the first summer was Mary Tarantino, who still teaches at, wesleyan ohio i think wherever the wexner center is uh she's still teaching and uh she's wonderful and uh was patient with probably i don't know i was 15 at the time teaching me in hang lights and, and why are we doing this and why did you choose that things like that so i did that for a couple of summers and uh that was that was the end of that uh i ended up going to suny purchase up in Westchester, new york uh majored in that um and then uh yeah the rest is history so
0: and that was the end of acting altogether for you.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I realized I looked around at the end of my first summer and saw really super talented actors, uh, worried about where they were going to be working in September. And a lot of them were like, Oh, I'm going to go wait tables or, you know, whatever their secondary job was and, uh, and keep auditioning. And some of them were in television commercials or whatever. And I thought, wow, you're in a television commercial. That's amazing. And, you know, it was the eighties. There wasn't even, uh, you know, we barely, we barely had cable and, um, so i was like wow you're a way better actor than i am i there's no way i'm going to be able to do this and, <laughs> uh, and so yeah lighting was much much easier and actually as a lot of our friends are discovering right now look being a being a stage technician our skill sets are massive like the things that we've been able to do whether you know even just uh, our audio friends who can deal with with you know, various frequencies and testing for frequencies and uh, transmission and, and setting up massive networks and, and uh, you know, all the all dealing with power and massive power stuff and uh, forklifts. And the fact that I, yeah, I'm going to spend most of my next week getting my OSHA 30, which is something I never thought I'd need. But the fact that we can all get an OSHA 30 uh, you know, yeah, you might be out of work now, but you've got uh, make no mistake. All, all the people that we come in contact with have such a massive skill set. Uh, I know we we love live theater and live entertainment, but when it comes to the real solving real world problems and organizing people and running a crew and being able to get along with everybody and also being able to just manage and and deal with adversity on a daily basis in a different place every day. Uh, that's just that's what we do. So, uh, but that's what all of that taught me. That's what all of theater teaches you and all of our our industry teaches you, right? So, uh, I'd much rather be doing what I'm doing now instead of, instead of acting, not to malign all my friends who are talented performers, but, you know, every day is different for, for us. If you, how did, you know, How did your parents you respond done,
0: when you told them you weren't going to be acting and you were going to be, uh, Oh, they the loved it. Side.
1: They, have, they were always, they were always supportive. Uh, they, you know, they, they loved that, uh, anything to do with, uh, with theater made them happy. And I, I continued to sing all through high school, uh, and then that that just that just fell away. Um, so, yeah, it just you know it's it's weird. I I put my I ended up putting some of myself through college by uh, becoming an EMT, uh, which was also accidental and and happenstance, a little bit of happenstance. Uh, so I worked on an ambulance for oh from about 1987 until 1994. Uh, so that was uh, that was a formative thing as well, and it. Uh, Doing that while doing technical theater uh, was really fascinating and, and educational and taught you to think on your feet and be self reliant and solve problems that you didn't know you had. Um, you know, just that's, that's, what, that's what EMS will do for you. And it's the same, it's the same thing. You know, you're in the theater and something, you know, that light's not working right now and uh, it's a big light for the next scene. What are you going to do? It's like, Oh, channel 83, we'll do that. Let's, let's bring that up and solve this problem for right now. And, you know, we'll worry about fixing that other fixture later on, you know, or, or, you know, the truck didn't make it today or, you know, we've got to, we've got to do a show with only 20 lights instead of the 150 that we normally do it with. What are we going to do? So it's triage. If, uh,
0: if, 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 it- if everything gets any worse, I'm sure your EMT skills will come in very handy in the I hope apocalyptic not. times. Let's hope it doesn't get I, to that.
1: I really hope not. I'm still CPR certified, and and I tell everybody I, I know, like, get CPR and first aid certified. It's, it's never going to serve you. It's never going to not serve you well to have that just know in your back pocket that you've you've got that there. Uh, it's not that hard. If you're sitting down for an OSHA 30 test right now or an even an OSHA 10 test, a CPR class is... Four hours. Uh, there's basic first aid with CPR, uh, but uh, you can get a basic first aid. You probably just get basic first aid on, on YouTube at this point. Um, you know, and 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 you're you're already carrying around a toolkit. You know of of, uh, of all your favorite tools. You know, throw a tourniquet in there. Uh, make sure you know how to use it. Test it once or twice. You know, not all the way, but just test it. You know, know what it is. Uh, throw a CPR mask in there, and and just just have things handy. Uh, uh, you know, just in case, because we're our industry, as you know, uh, can get dangerous if you're not paying attention, and and shit happens. So, yeah.
0: my first aid kit inc- includes uh, a naloxone and a Narcan for.
1: Yep. Yep. Which, uh, and those, luckily, used to be, knock on
0: wood, I've never had to use, but I carry yep. just all the same
1: that used to be paramedic only back in the eighties and nineties. I, you know, used to break off the little, uh, the little glass nodule. And, and, and you know, I used to load him up for my paramedic partner mm-hmm. and, and hand it to him. And, you know, he'd do the stabbing and, uh, but now it's like, now anybody can use it. It's, it's kind of, it's a little scary, but also great. Um, yep. you know, it's
0: uh, uh, in Canada, it's, they it handed out for free. free.
1: Yep. Yep. Nope that's that's great uh you know you can if the good Samaritan laws have gotten better as well you don't you don't worry so much about that stuff,
0: but yeah, yeah I it's a, it's a sorry that they had to really rework that in order to for people to really be brave enough to do anything uh, I've talked to yeah. even security guards that they were very thankful that the good Samaritan laws have, are where they are now, Cause, yeah and uh, it's you were you were on the hook.
1: Yeah, you used to really be on the hook. And that was a big part of the EMT class. It was like when to, you know, as an EMT, you had a, a duty to respond. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it used to be you had to think twice. I uh, I grew up in Massachusetts, uh, and most of my EMS work was in Connecticut and New York. Um, but the, the Good Samaritan laws were really strong. It was like you can do, you know, as long as you don't maliciously do harm to somebody, especially if they're already in need of CPR, then go right ahead because what they don't advertise is when you're doing cpr you're probably going to break somebody's ribs uh but if they're in need of cpr then broken ribs at least if they're worries uh but that's you know it's just something to know um so yeah it's the good samaritan laws have come a long way uh, fortunately, and now yeah we can it's it's amazing even even automatic defibrillators i was i got to use one of the very first new york state automatic defibrillators, it had a a tape recorder in it that recorded the entire scene while you were doing it. And, uh, and it would shout at you like, you know, when to be clear and and when shock was advised. And it was this computer robotic voice. Uh, And now there's, there's automatic defibrillators in you know, in every mall and every theater and just grab it off the wall and it'll tell you what to do. And, and uh, it's amazing. Uh, You know, it it easily, I'm sure it saved thousands and thousands of lives. So it's fascinating.
0: That is, uh, it's a conversation that I have fairly often about what our role is as a lighting uh, person out and who's out at front of house. Should something happen, uh, what is our? I mean, do we have a responsibility to help out? Or is it as far as reaching out to security? I mean, if we're well,
1: well, as far as reaching out to security, that should be that should be fairly, you know, you should be on yeah. radio or something with somebody that should be easy. But even that just goes back to the rules of EMS, right? The, the very first thing that you're taught, regardless of what the, what the accident scene is, what the trauma scene is, it doesn't matter if it's a, it's, if it's a medical call for a heart attack. The, the first question is, is the scene safe? And if the scene mm-hmm. is not safe, then you don't go in, you wait for police or you wait for fire or whatever it is. You do not run into a burning building. You do not go into a, into a crack den. If you think that, if you've heard gunshots, uh, you just, you know, that's just, you have to assess. That's the first thing you assess. And so if your if your scene is not safe, if your venue is not safe, you know, theoretically, you've had a conversation with your, your production manager or, or whoever, like, uh, you know, okay, if something horrible happens, if gunshots break out or something like that, what do you do? Do you put the lights to full, or do you black out and wait for house lights? Like, I, and I'm I'm still on the fence about that, but I I think just putting the lights on full and and letting people get out safely is probably going to be a better benefit than than going to black. Yep. Um, but uh, you know, you slam your lights to full, and then you get yourself safe, whether it's under your deck or under your desk or or whatever, and you you've got your radio on your hip. So yeah, start start communicating, but then keep yourself safe.
0: Um, I'm I'm fairly outspoken on the, on the side of lights up. I believe. I think, I
1: think that's, I think that's where we're, we're falling. I think when, when these things first started happening, uh, there was some conversation, but yeah, lights up so people can see the exits. So first responders can see what's going on. And so that the, hopefully the people, uh, you know, who are there to solve the problem, whether with weapons or not, are, can actually see what they're, what they're aiming at. Um, you know, so,
0: so along those uh, lines, yeah. one of the things that came up for me one time was a drunk woman was out of front house hmm. and she fell over the barricade into my front house area, and she she split her. I think she busted her nose. I don't know if she split her face or just busted her nose, but there was a sure. small amount of blood. And I stepped away from the console to help her up, and I and I missed about probably a dozen cues. Not a. It was sure. in the middle of the song. And then I just kind of, as soon as I got her up and I kind of gave her over to security, I got back to the console. And then uh, my client asked me about the about it after the show. He said, well, what's, what happened there? I'm like, well, and I kind of explained it to him. And he wasn't upset, but he was kind of disappointed. Yeah. Like, well, that's, that's not your job. You shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, well, as a human oh, being, man. that's right. what I'm going to do every single time. Right. And, uh, it's a-
1: yeah, yeah. And, and if you're going to fire me for that, tough. I, I, my usual response to things like that is, uh, did anybody die? Like, you missed some cues. Nobody died. The audience was still happy. Move along. You know, like the, this person, yeah. you know, granted, granted she was a drunk and she was doing something she shouldn't have been doing, but what if she had been having a heart attack? What if she was having a seizure and she fell over the thing? I, I, you know, it, I think their attitude would have changed if she, if you had said this was a... Uh, a sober person who was having a seizure or yeah. a diabetic reaction or something. And I, I went to help them for two minutes until security could help. And they, this gets it, One of my early, early EMS lighting things, my senior year of college, I was volunteering on an ambulance and, and, you know, I had been taking midnight shifts because in in the tiny little town in Westchester, a midnight shift means you can still sleep six or eight hours, and and uh, you might get woken up twice to go deal with a heart attack or something like that. Well, one that one night we ended up doing CPR on a woman for probably an eighty year old woman for like forty five minutes, and we got her to a hospital, and uh, we actually saved her, and she she came back and she was conscious, and her family was by her side when we left, and it was it was one of those they were like, oh wow, this this really works, this is kind of great, and I. Got into the theater the next day, and it was tech. And there was some relatively famous former off Broadway director who was now a professor. He was an acting professor, so a professor of acting. And uh, he didn't really know the designers really well. And we were just there. We were just tools for him. And uh, And uh, a cue didn't go off well either because we had programmed it wrong or was called wrong. Or I forget if, uh, at the time, a a Leco or a par lamp had blown out like in a previous cue. So that like the final monologue of a dress rehearsal, mind you, you know, happened in the dark instead of where it was. And, you know, it's one of those things you all cringe and you're like, uh, crap, you know, this is whatever. And he just screamed at me for like five minutes straight and wouldn't let, let me get a word in edgewise. And remember I'm 20 at the time and he's, Fifty something, and I still remember his name. And uh, and like the you know spit was flying in my face. He was so angry. And I just looked at him. And I said, "Hey, you know what? I was doing CPR on a woman last night, and I saved her life. And she's with her family right now. And uh, that lamp went out, and I've got an electrician on the grid changing it right now. And I can't promise you it's never going to happen again, but it's unlikely because it's a brand new lamp. And uh, this was a dress rehearsal. Would you want to try it again? We'll we'll see how it looks. Nobody died, right?" Good. Nobody done. And I just turned I just turned away from the man and he just kind of spluttered at me. I'm like, man, we do live, we do live entertainment because anything can happen at any time. And while I, I would prefer not to miss a cue and I would prefer to always be uh, right Johnny on the spot and have everything run perfectly, that's great. But actually your audience is there hoping that something is a little different every night because yeah. that's what live entertainment is. So maybe it's your, your performer, like, you know, uh, blowing something or, you know, maybe it's slash and axle fighting with each other on stage or something <laughs> stupid, but you know, that's, that's what gives it that, that quality. Right. So yeah. So some cues got missed. I'm not, I'm not saying it's unimportant. It's super important to, to do our jobs to the best of our abilities, but if somebody is hurt behind you or, or, you need to take action because you're the only one that can help somebody uh, who is in, in need. Then, you know, or even breaking up a fight somehow. I don't care if you like, you know, there's some crazy fight going on in front of you and you're able to take a couple of moving lights and swing it onto them and, 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 you know, light it up so security can see it more, you know, move along. This is, you know, any, I, I don't have time for artists who can't understand that, that human beings come first and, Uh, And that's just, that's the way it is. You know, the world is an imperfect place and uh, you know, move along. Tomorrow is going to be even better and it's going to be, it's going to look great.
0: Our imperfection is right in our faces these days. We are, we are not immune. We are imperfect. We're just doing the best we can. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's,
1: and sometimes the imperfection makes it prettier. You know, I have a, back to actual design. I, you know, I have a, sort of a touchstone that says, um, symmetry is a tool of the week, which I, which I tease people because you frequently, a symmetrical look on stage, whether it's rock and roll or whether it's theater or something like that is, is frequently absolutely beautiful. And, and that's why, that's why some of the world's greatest art is, is lovely. But, uh, even the best artists put something a little bit out of place. So your brain catches it and says, Oh, that's interesting. You know? And so, uh, you know, I Say symmetry is a tool we to perfection is not perfect. Uh, it's it, having little imperfections shows that you're human and shows that it was done not by a computer. Uh, you know you want you want that. So,
0: In Japanese, it's called wabi sabi. Uh, is the, the art of imperfection. Word. Sure. They believe that imperfection makes things more beautiful, and they will. Uh, they'll repair a broken bowl with gold just to show off its imperfections. Say, this oh, sure.
1: Yeah. No, I know that. It's beautiful. Oh. Yeah, that's absolutely great. So,
0: so, Herrick, thank you so much for making the time. We will definitely have to continue <laughs> this conversation in September. <laughs> yes, I, uh, we will, I'm sure. I feel like we didn't get to a quarter of the things that we were going to talk about because we were just, <laughs> uh, we're full, we fell in every rabbit hole we could here, which was... Yep,
1: I, that's... That's typical. Uh, yep. it's, you know. Hopefully, next time we'll do it in a bar or something.
0: That so. is where these sort of conversations belong, not on Zoom. But right. uh, that's that's us doing the best that we can with the with the tools we've got. Yep. Thank you so much for uh, your time, anyway. Eric. I really appreciate it. It was a
1: pleasure. Absolutely, we'll do it again. Be well. we'll you talk
0: as well. Soon.